Blog Talk Radio. Don't hold nothing back. This is it. Fight. Let's go. Championship football. Championship football. Trying to show these boys how we really get down, man. 16 weeks. Let's go. Thousands of hits, catches, tackles, kicks, passes, and blocks. A lifetime's worth of blood and sweat. All poured into a 60-minute, bone-crushing, adrenaline-fueled battle of bodies. Welcome to Go for the Two. With Yahoo Sports Radio college football analyst Joe Lisi. And former Georgia Bulldogs wide receiver Corey Allen. Right, let's rock and roll. Huddle up. Here's Joe and Corey. It is great to be back for show number two. We're just getting started. We're about five and a half months away from the start of the college football season, but we are in full gear on this show. Last week, I broke down some of the marquee battles, week number one of the season. We're going to continue in today's show. We have three great matchups to take a look at, USC and Alabama, LSU and Wisconsin, and Notre Dame and Texas. Those are the three matchups we'll turn our attention to in today's show. Spring practices are underway. Some spring games culminated this past weekend. But for me, this is what I look at. Like I said in last week's show, I don't put a lot of weight into spring performances. If there are some injuries that we have to take a look at that affect opening day lineups, that's a different concern, but I don't put a lot of weight into the spring performances. You're not going to gauge a team what they do in March or April. You really turn our attention to week number one about the strengths and weaknesses of last year's ball club, but there are some injuries that we have to take a note on. Florida State and Dalvin Cook, he did not play in the spring game. He did have shoulder surgery to clean up some ligaments in the back of his shoulder. He did miss the spring game. He'll be limited in July and June in those months and is probably limited in the beginning of August practice. So we have to keep an eye out for that as we break down the Florida State Ole Miss matchup a little bit later in August. So keep that in mind. And then Gerard Hurd, Texas quarterback. He's in a quarterback battle with Tyrone Swoops. He's been limited in spring practice. He injured himself, will not play in the spring game, and we'll see how that injury takes place over the summer and how healthy Gerard Hurd is at the start of fall camp in August. So those are two types of injuries that we keep a note on. Those are injuries that we are concerned about as we move closer to the college football season this coming August. When you look at this big battle of USC and Alabama, it's an interesting battle for a couple of factors. Can USC start their season on a positive note? This is a make-it-or-break-it game for the USC Trojans. They have everything to prove. All the the eyes and the, the college football eyes are on them. Can they make some noise? Week number one, they're going to be fe- facing the defending national champions in the Alabama Clemson Tide. Nick Saban in Alabama, all they do is win, baby. Week number one, Alabama has won now 14 straight games week number one of the season they haven't lost since 2001 they've won the last 14 games on their schedule week number one by an average margin of victory of 22.1 points per game so that's an interesting uh, statistic that we have to break down and look at in this matchup they'll be starting with their third consecutive quarterback in three straight seasons. So that's another interesting statistic. We know Lane Kiffin has done a great job 
with Jacob Coker last year and before that, Blake Sims. We have to see how the quarterback battle shapes up a little bit later in the month and, more importantly, in August, who is the go-to guy? You remember last year they didn't mention it until really game-time decision. So that's something that we have to keep an eye out for as well. But when you break down Alabama as a whole, can't take away anything that Nick Saban has done. He's one of the best coaches modern at modern-day era for what he has been able to do in terms of recruiting talent cultivating that talent to an elite level. And that's the number one thing when you, when you talk about coaches, can they get the talent? And then once they get the talent, what do they do with that talent from the time that these kids are, are freshmen from the time that they leave the program as juniors and seniors. And that's what Nick Saban and this Alabama staff has done year in and year out. And they've done it with moving parts. They've done it with quarterbacks. They've done it with offensive coordinators. They've done it with defensive coordinators that they're going to have to do now with the absence of Kirby Smart taking over the head coaching duties at Georgia. So that's what we want to see out of Alabama. How does this team respond with new pieces in place? Now, when you look at Alabama last year, 35 points per game, this offense averaged very balanced. They rushed for 199 yards on the ground, and they passed for 222 yards through the air. But they got better as the season progressed. And more importantly, we're hitting full stride at the national championship game. They utilized a lot of different formations, and the progression of Jacob Coker in the system is what really – propelled Alabama to the next level. You look at Jacob Coker overall, on the season he completed 66% of his passes, 3,110 yards, 21 touchdowns. But it's what he did in the last five games of the season that really took Alabama's offense to another level. And you could talk about Derrick Henry, the Heisman Trophy winner that rushed for over 2,000 yards last year. He was a major piece of the puzzle. But it was the progression of Jacob Coker and, more importantly, his confidence in the system. You look at Jacob Coker over the last five games last year, he threw nine touchdowns and no interceptions, was clean with the football, and he completed 60% of his passes. He played within the system, understood his strengths and weaknesses, and really came on for his team. And a big part of that was the rushing attack with Derrick Henry. But as a quarterback, he was confident in the system. He knew where he wanted to go with his progressions in the passing attack. And he had a young receiver core. Outside of Richard Mullaney, this receiver core of Calvin Ridley and Ardarius Stewart last year was very raw. They were inexperienced. And Ridley's development as well throughout the season helped Jacob Coker. They're going to get a boost this year. When you look at overall production that Alabama law loses now with Jacob Coker and Derrick Henry, it's mind-boggling to think that they can make up for this production in 2016. But that's what Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin have been able to do throughout recent years. I mentioned Coker's statistics. Derrick Henry, 2,219 yards, 5.6 yards per carry, and 28 rushing touchdowns. And when you look at Derrick Henry's production last year, along with Kenyon Drake in terms of the touchdown production, Alabama is going to lose 29 of the 33 rushing touchdowns last year. Kenyon Drake had one. Derrick Henry had 28. 
And when you look at the the production in terms of passing offense and passing touchdowns, Jacob Coker accounted for 21 of the 22 passing touchdowns in 2015. Now, when Blake Sims was there two years ago, Jacob Coker got his feet wet. He was involved in mop-up duty. So this is a a severe drop-off in terms of production over the last couple of seasons. So we have to see how does that affect this Alabama offense week number one against an athletic defense in the USC Trojans. But they do get a boost. Last year they had Richard Merlini that came on. This Alabama offense gets a major boost. Former Bowling Green wide receiver, Derek Dieter. Now this kid is a phenomenal route runner. And you talk about the offensive production that he put up last year in Dino Baber's system for Bowling Green. Bowling Green had one of the most prolific offenses in college football. And up until the bowl game, they had the number one ranked passing offense in the nation, led by quarterback Matt Johnson. And Garrett Dieter was one of uh, a handful of uh, wide receivers for Bowling Green that put up phenomenal numbers. But he was really the creme de la creme of the wide receiver court. Last year for Bowling Green, he had 94 receptions for 1,033 yards and 10 receiving touchdowns. He's a big kid. He goes about 6'3", 210. He knows how to block. He's a physical receiver that can get off the line of scrimmage. And he's going to be a dangerous, dangerous weapon for this offense. Because now you throw him into the mix. Mulaney wasn't as big in terms of stature and physical. This kid is big. He's physical. He can get off the line of scrimmage. And they're not going to – defensive secondaries aren't going to be able to double-team him and Calvin Ridley at the same time. So that's a a matchup that you're going to have to watch week number one against USC in this this ballgame. And and that's an interesting statistic and and an interesting piece of the puzzle. How does he come on into the system with Lane Kiffin? And you look at this offense, it's not just – Calvin Ridley and Ardarius Stewart. It's O.J. Howard as well. You saw what he was able to do in the national championship game. He was a non-factor for most of the year. And when his team needed him the most, he stepped up in the biggest game of of his life. Two touchdowns, two big touchdowns. He's a big body, and look for them to get the tight end more and more involved. So the passing attack, in my opinion, will be a lot stronger than it was last year at the early part of the year. The one drop-off, in my opinion, for this offense will be the rushing attack, and that's not to take away from Bo Scarborough. The difference between last year and in 2014, in 2014, Derrick Henry and P.J. Eldon both had 11 rushing touchdowns. So it was a dual threat. It was a thunder and lightning type of, type of offense with those two running backs. Yeldon was a slasher. Derrick Henry was the bruiser. But last year it was all Derrick Henry. 90% of the offensive rushing output was Derrick Henry. And then you sprinkle in Kenyon Drake with that. Both of those guys are gone. So the, the pressure falls solely on Bo Scarborough this year. Whereas in years past – the returning running back had some experience in terms of production. 
in the Alabama offense. So that could be the weak link entering week number one as the offense gets cohesive as a unit. That's what you have to keep an eye out on. And defensively, in this matchup against USC, we're going to see the difference between Kirby Smart, who now is the head coach at Georgia, and Jeremy Pruitt, who was the former defensive coordinator at Georgia. So it was a flip-flop. And Jeremy Pruitt's one of the best defensive coordinators in the game. He understands Nick Saban. He understands the talent. He understands what Nick Saban wants. But I've, I've said this in years past. It's still going to take Jeremy Pruitt to get acclimated to the talent. And I understand he, he knows the talent very well. And I'm not saying that Alabama's defense isn't going to be dominant because they have great, great talent from top to bottom, defensive line, linebackers, and secondary. But you're seeing the game through a different set of eyes. Now, when Jeremy Pruitt took over for Todd Grandham in Georgia, they made a complete 360 turnaround in terms of that defense. They were an attacking, opportunistic defense in 2014. They were plus 16 in turnover margin, Georgia was. But you're still seeing the game through a different set of eyes with Jeremy Pruitt. And I'm just saying, don't expect the defense to just all of a sudden be where Kirby Smart had this defense week number one because it's a new defensive coordinator. Even though he's been there, he might want to do things differently than Kirby Smart did in his days in, in Tuscaloosa. So just keep that in mind. When you look at this defense, dominant. 15 points per game they allowed. Number one ranked rushing defense, only giving up 75 yards per game and they only allowed 200 passing yards per game. That's a dominant, dominant defense, only giving up 275 total yards per game in the SEC is a phenomenal, phenomenal statistic and a great job by Nick Saban and Kirby Smart last year. And you, and you, you can look at big games. They stepped up on the road. That's what you want to see from a top-flight defense. Do they make plays on the road? They made plays for – Big turnovers against Texas A&M. They scored three touchdowns on interceptions. That's a big, big time effort. They stepped up in Athens and Sanford Stadium on a national stage against Georgia. They punched the Bulldogs in the mouth. And their defense was opportunistic again. So that's what you want to see out of a top flight defense. You don't want to just see it. At home, you want to see it in big ball games on the road. And that's what Alabama did. They were plus 10 in turnover margin. They had 53 sacks, which was number one in FBS last year. And you talk about stepping up in the secondary. The secondary in 13 of the 15 games held opposing quarterbacks to under 60% completion percentage. And you look at the two games where they – failed to hold opponents under 60%. Week number one against Joel Stavi in Wisconsin. Wisconsin completed 66% of their passes because they fell behind early and had to play catch-up. And in the national championship game to Deshaun Watson and Clemson, and they still won that ballgame. They made plays when they needed to. The big interception by Eddie Jackson. 
So this is an opportunistic defense. They do get Eddie Jackson back. They do have Minka Fitzpatrick that comes back. That was a phenomenal, phenomenal freshman that burst onto the scene and played very well in man-to-man coverage. The big hit on the defensive side of the ball, there's a few. Reggie Ragland, their emotional leader, their linebacker, and Cyrus Jones, big play lockdown cornerback. But they have the pieces in place to be dominant once, once again. And when you look at this matchup against USC, Alabama's not going to fear USC in any way, shape, or form. Alabama doesn't fear anyone. They're going to punch USC in the mouth. And that's what you want to see if you're a Trojan fan in this ballgame. Can USC respond? That's been the one knock on USC over recent years is that when teams punch USC in the mouth in a blue-collar type of game like Stanford, USC hasn't been able to respond. Now, they lost six games last year, and they lost three or four to end the season. And those six losses came against opponents with a combined record of 48-18 and 18 overall, or 727 winning percentage. So they lost to the better teams on their schedule and beat up on the, on the mediocre teams within the Pac-12. And now they get to face the defending national champions, week number one on a national stage. Nobody's expecting them to knock off Alabama. Alabama hasn't lost in 14 straight opening season games, and they've dominated. That's what Nick Saban does. So if you're going to get USC's best effort, it's going to come week number one because you have all offseason to prepare. Clay Helton better have a game plan in place week number one because you have March, you have April, you know who you're playing. Once the season ends in January, you know week number one who's on your schedule. There's no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You start preparing for Alabama once spring – once spring camp opens, and as a coaching staff, you, you should be breaking down film throughout the year. You should be getting acclimated with personnel from Alabama. Look at their, their tendencies, and, and as an offense and defense, you better be able to break tendency week number one and show Alabama something that you haven't showed all season, all spring, that's how you win these big ball games, and that's the number one thing that Nick Saban, Kirby Smart did when he was there, and Lane Kiffin. And now it falls on Lane Kiffin and Jeremy Pruitt to break tendency and show different looks for the USC offense and defense. And if you're USC, you better have some tricks up your sleeve to put your playmakers in space from uh, from an offensive perspective. And, and and I expect USC to play very well in this game because Clay Helton has an under-the-radar team. The last few years with Steve Sarkeesian, this team was expected top 10. And they came out of the gate last year and they laid a dud. They lost to Washington. Now they have an opportunity to make some noise. And they have playmakers. You look at the offense – Averaged 33 points per game in 2015. Balanced, they rushed for 168 yards on the ground and 269 yards through the air. But they lose their starting quarterback in Cody Kessler. And he he completed 66% of his passes, 3,536 yards, 29 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. 
But when you look at the strengths and weaknesses of USC overall, glaring. In those six losses, they trailed at halftime in four of those games. And in the second half of those losses, or more importantly, in the second half, the team was outscored 103 to 70. So they didn't make halftime adjustments. As a coach, and the mark of a good coach and a good coaching staff is that you make halftime adjustments. So it's okay that you trailed in four of the six games last year. But then to get outscored 103 to 70 in those games, to me, shows that you didn't make the halftime adjustments for your team. And Kessler struggled in the last three games of the year. You look at those last three games of the year, he completed less than 58%. So that's something that you have to keep an eye out for. And another weak link of this offense was the offensive line. They had major, major weaknesses and injuries, a lot of turnover on the offensive line. But as a unit, they gave up 38 sacks last year. That cannot happen against an attacking defense in Alabama. That's, that's the matchup that you want to see. Can the offensive line contain the defensive pass rush by the Crimson Tide? And can they get the ball to their playmakers in space? We're going to have to see. Can Juju Smith step up against this, an experienced secondary? We'll see. And defensively, USC has some holes. And they're going to be tested week number one here. They gave up 25 points per game last year. They were solid in run support for the most part statistically. They gave up 149 rushing yards per game. And the secondary, though, was the weak link. They gave up 251 passing yards per game. When you break down their six losses last year, they couldn't stop the run. They gave up 192 rushing yards per game in those losses. And in the six losses, they lost, in, in those six losses, four of the six games, they lost the turnover battle. Well, you say it's not a big deal. It is a big deal because in big ball games, you need to win the turnover battle for the most part. This was a team that was ranked 11th overall in FBS with a plus 11 turnover margin last year. But in their losses, Four of the six, they lost the turnover battle. They're going to need to step up, create turnovers on a national stage, and they're not going to be able to – they should not fear Alabama. They should throw caution to the wind, lay it all on the line, because mo- most people aren't expecting USC to step up in this ballgame. 37 total sacks last year as a defensive unit. So that's what we keep an eye out on as we break this game down in deeper detail later in the year. That's what you want to see. Can Clay Helton have his team prepared week number one? But I expect early on when I look at this game that they play very, very well against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Another battle, Notre Dame in Texas. This is a rematch of last year where Notre Dame – jumped up on Charlie Strong and the Longhorns in South Bend, and they dominated that matchup 38-3. to They now travel to Austin. This is an intriguing matchup. 
When you look at Notre Dame last year, in their three losses to Clemson, Ohio State, and Stanford, they lost those three games by a total of 20 points, or 6.6 points per game. Those three losses, Clemson, Ohio State, and Stanford, those, those three teams had a combined record of 38-4 and four overall. 38-4. and four. That's a 904 winning percentage. And they're going to be tested by, by a, a Texas team. I can tell you this. Charlie Strong will have the Longhorns ready for this matchup. I thought they would be ready last year on the road, but he had a very inexperienced defense to start the year. And we'll get into Texas in a little bit, but we'll look at Notre Dame's offense overall. Last year averaged 34 points per game, balanced, balanced offense last year. They averaged 207 yards on the ground and passed for 258 passing yards per game. And if you're Brian Kelly, you have a great situation with two experienced quarterbacks in Malik, Malik Zaire and Deshaun Kaiser. To start week number one, it remains to be seen. If you're asking me, I go with Deshaun Kaiser. He was the guy that really was with the offense. He gelled. Malik Zaire, you can't take away anything he did. He had his team undefeated, and his team looked Phenomenal week number one against Texas. He got injured in the in the victory against Virginia. He completed 65% of his passes, 428 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Kaiser completed 62% of his passes, 2,880 yards, 21 touchdowns. He did have 10 interceptions. But I look at that game against Clemson. He came back from adversity. I look at the game against Stanford on the road. He stepped up, made some plays in that matchup. He came in against Virginia on the road and made big plays to lead his team back from deficit to win that ballgame. He's got that, that characteristic, that moxie that I want to see out of a quarterback. I'm not to say that Malik Zaire doesn't. It's just for me, Kaiser's already done it already. They take some hits. They lose Will Fuller. They lose Chris Brown. Both of those guys, when you talk about production, 110 receptions, 1,855 yards, 18 receiving touchdowns. That accounted for 72% of the receiving touchdowns last year. Now, I know they have guys in the mix like Corey Robinson, just to name a few. And they have athletic talent from the wide receivers. I'm not, not to take away, but that's big, big-time production lost out of both of those guys. And like I said before, week number one offensively is, is what you want to gauge out of your team. Sometimes offenses don't click week number one. Sometimes timing's off. Sometimes defenses are ahead of offenses week number one. And when you have new intricate pieces in place from the skilled positions, 
it affects the timing. It affects the quarterback-wide receiver relationship when you're working with a different group of go-to receivers. So that's what we have to see from an offense out of Brian Kelly and this Notre Dame team. Defensively, when you look at this game, Notre Dame gave up 24 points per game, but they had glaring weaknesses on the defensive side of the ball last year. And when you break down their three losses, it was, it was mind-boggling where the deficiencies were. Last year, they gave up 175 rushing yards per game last year. That was their highest total since prior to 2008. Secondary was solid. They only gave up 196 passing yards per game. But when you break down the Fighting Irish's three losses last year, they allowed 216 rushing yards per game. They, they gave up 212 to Clemson, 153 to Stanford. That was a game where Kevin Hogan had four passing touchdowns. And in the bowl loss to Ohio State, they got manhandled. They gave up 285 rushing yards in that matchup, in that loss. And Texas likes to run the football. That's what Charlie Strong wants to do. This is an offense, and I'll break it down in a little bit, but that's the matchup that you want to see. The front seven of Notre Dame going up against the offensive line of Texas. Can Notre Dame stop the run? They lose Jalen Smith. That's going to be a big piece of the defense. Another big piece of the defense is that they were not opportunistic. They only had nine interceptions as a unit. Their lowest total since 2011 in terms of interceptions. So even though the secondary only allowed 196 passing yards per game, they didn't force turnovers. This was a team that was minus six in turnover margin. And I mentioned before about stepping up on the road like Alabama. Notre Dame didn't do that. They were minus nine in turnover margin on the road. So this or a neutral field side. So this was a team that did not step up from a defensive perspective in big ball games. And they only had 24 sacks as a unit last year. Near the bottom third of FBS. So that's the matchup that you want to see. If you're a Notre Dame fan, you're going to know early whether Texas can run the football because I'm sure that'll be in the game plan for Charlie Strong. Now, Gerard Hurd is out in the spring. He got injured. They're keeping him out for the spring game. He's in a battle with Tyrone Swoops. I personally think you're going to see two quarterbacks again this year. I think that that's what Charlie Strong is going to do. I could be wrong. You look at his Texas offense, Averaged 26 points per game. They rushed for 224 rushing yards per game, and they only passed for 145 yards through the air. Swoops had 12 rushing touchdowns last year. Gerard Hurd completed 57% of his passes, only had five passing touchdowns. But he's a mobile quarterback. He rushed for 556 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. So. They like to run the football. Their problems are they can't stretch defenses vertically. They couldn't in 2015. Now, Charlie Strong likes to run the football, and he likes to work off a of play action. 
That's that's his offensive mentality. That's what he did in a pro-style offense with Teddy Bridgewater in Louisville. If you watched his days at Louisville, that's what Charlie Strong did. He wanted to pound the football between the tackles and then work off a play-action pass with Teddy Bridgewater. He didn't have that last year with the quarterback situation. So both guys have another year in the system, but he's running a little more spread with the mobility of both Tyrone Swoops and Gerard Hurt. So we'll have to see how that transpires as we inch closer to fall camp. But you look at the seven losses last year by Texas. They only averaged in those seven losses 20 points per game. So that was they really did not put up points in, in big ballgames. 20 points was basically 5.2 points less than their season average. And they only had two passing touchdowns and six interceptions in those, in those seven losses. So they couldn't stretch defenses vertically. So all defenses did were put eight in the box and force Gerard Hurd and Tyrone Swoops to throw over the top, and they couldn't do it. And offensive line was fairly weak in pass protection as well. They allowed 32 sacks as a unit, which is shocking when you think about that they do have mobile quarterbacks in Gerard Hurd and Tyrone Swoops. But the one thing I can tell you watching Texas football last year is that they did not know where they wanted to go in the passing attack. They weren't confident in the system. As a quarterback, you can't hold the ball six, seven seconds. It's not, you're not going to have time. So they had an inexperienced wide receiver core, coupled with inexperience at the quarterback position, and that's why the offensive line allowed 32 sacks, because you would never think that with two mobile quarterbacks on your roster that played. So that's the offense when you look at this matchup with with Notre Dame. Now, expect intensity, expect expect an emotional effort out of Texas. Slight edge going into this game early on, I give to Notre Dame because the defense is where Texas needs to step up in this matchup. And when you look at Texas overall, they allowed 30 points per game last year, their highest total since prior to 2008. And when you look at statistically, they allowed 219 rushing yards per game. Their highest since 2008, prior to 2008. And when you look at the the yards allowed from opposing quarterbacks, they allowed 233 passing yards per game. That was their highest total since 2008 when they gave up 259 passing yards per game. And when you look at the seven losses to the Longhorns last year, in those seven losses, the defense was a sieve. They gave up 230 rushing yards per game, 15 rushing touchdowns in those losses. They gave up 222 passing yards per game and 18 passing touchdowns in those losses. I mean, that's a mind-boggling statistic. In those seven losses, they gave up a total of 33 touchdowns. That's almost five touchdowns per game or 35 points per game, at least. You cannot win big games like that. And when we talk about turnover margin, they were like USC. They were plus 11 in turnover margin, but they, they, it all came at home. Texas was plus 12 at home and minus one on the road. 
They're going to need to create turnovers in this game. They're playing at home, but they did not respond in big matchups within the Big 12 on the road last year. And that's something that when you look at Charlie Strong's resume and pedigree, he had an attacking, opportunistic defense at Louisville. That's what he built. He's going to change that. He will. He's that good of a coach. The one bright spot for this defense, they did have 37 total sacks as a unit. 37. And they lost Malcolm Brown last year. They had some key losses defensively. Now, two years ago, the secondary was very solid. This past year, they were not good in pass coverage. And that's something that is the mark of an inexperienced team. So that's how we that's how we have to look at strengths and weaknesses in the Notre Dame Texas matchup, and, and we'll I'll be breaking this down in deeper detail with my co-host Corey Allen as we inch closer to the season. Once we know position battles, once we see the injuries, but I like to take the strengths and weaknesses of each team the year before and see if there's a possibility if it can continue week number one. When we look at this other matchup, and this is a great matchup. I mean, it doesn't get better than this. It's a rematch of 2014, LSU and Wisconsin. LSU and Wisconsin, 2014, Whiskey jumped up early. It looked like Les Miles and the Tigers were on the ropes. They had a second-half comeback. Gary Anderson and the crew could not close the door on the Tigers, and they won that ballgame 28-24. to It's a rematch, and if you're an LSU Tiger fan, you got to be chomping at the bit week number one because you want to see this defense. Last year, not the same type of LSU Tiger defense. And I'll get into that in a couple of seconds, but you do have Heisman Trophy frontrunner Leonard Fournette making his junior season debut against the Wisconsin Badgers in Lambeau Field. What a way to showcase this. Last year, Leonard Fournette, 1,953 yards, averaged 6.5 yards per carry, 22 rushing touchdowns. But it can't all be Leonard Fournette in 2016. They need Brandon Harris. LSU and Les Miles needs Brandon Harris. They need the Brandon Harris that played very well with Cam Cameron calling the shots against Texas Tech. And in that game, they broke tendencies. They utilized play action passing. They passed on first and second down to loosen up the front seven and then ran the football with Fournette between between the tackles. They're going to have to do that against Wisconsin. And that's what you want to see if you're an LSU Tiger fan. This offense averaged 32 points per game. They averaged 257 yards on the ground and only 179 passing yards per game. In 2014, as an offense, you only completed 50% of your passes. Last year, Brandon Harris only completed 53% of his passes. He threw for 2,158 yards, 13 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. He He needs to take the next step in his development. Otherwise, LSU will just be another middle-of-the-road team this year. 
in the three losses, Brandon Harris, three touchdowns, four interceptions, and 50% completion percentage. Not going to get it done against Alabama. Not going to get it done in the be- against the better teams uh, in the SEC. And more importantly, not going to get it done against a solid defense in Wisconsin. A blue-collar defense in Wisconsin. And we'll get into that in a, in a couple of seconds. But you look at the three losses by LSU last year to Alabama, Arkansas, and Ole Miss. Rushing attack was non-existent. They only averaged 99 rushing yards per game. So that's that's what we have to see. Leonard Fournette in those three losses, 76 rushing yards per game, two touchdowns. But it's because the defense has forced Brandon Harris to throw over the top. And LSU and, and Cam Cameron call plays right into the defensive strengths in those big games. Everybody knew after LSU jumped out to an undefeated record and when they had that matchup with Alabama, Alabama knew – that they were going to try and run between the tackles with Leonard Fournette. And it was a tight game, 10 to 10 at half. But again, that's where you need to break tendencies. That's where you need to make halftime adjustments. Nick Saban, the coaching staff for Alabama, made them. Les Miles and the coaching staff for LSU did not in that game. And when you look at the offensive play calling by Cam Cameron in that Alabama game, he did not attack the deep middle of the field in the second half. After Brandon Harris had a key interception, he never attacked that secondary again. They ran sideline to sideline, which is right into the strength of the Alabama defense. Instead of attacking the deep middle of the third with his guys, Doral, wide receivers, Doral and Malachi Dupree in that game. And you saw the difference in the Texas Tech game. When they were able to attack the deep middle of the field, it loosened up the front seven and Leonard Fournette could pound the rock between the tackles. And that's what I say in big matchups, sometimes you have to break tendencies. Just because you want to run the football doesn't mean you have to run on first and second down. You can throw on first and second down to loosen up the defense and then run the football. And that's what you see in big matchups. Which team can break tendency? Which team could create mismatches with their playmakers, either offensively and defensively? Another thing about this LSU offense in 2015 is that they were playing catch-up in those three losses. They were outscored 55-24 to in those three losses in the first half against Alabama, Arkansas and Ole Miss, the LSU Tigers were playing catch-up. They trailed at halftime in each of those games. Except Alabama, they were 10-10. And that's the thing that you, you, you look at in big matchups. And you look at the offensive production in those three losses, they only averaged 15 points per game, 17 points less than their season average. So that falls on Cam Cameron. That doesn't fall directly on Les Miles. He is the head coach, but that falls directly on Cam Cameron's ability to create mismatches with his offensive talent. And you look at the defense now. Now, here's the biggest asset that LSU gains in 2016. Dave Aranda is the new defensive coordinator. 
he comes from Wisconsin, and he understands personnel now. So if you're, if you're asking me, matchup-wise, LSU has a significant advantage in this game for a couple of factors. I think they have the edge from a talent perspective and a speed perspective, but they also have an edge in Dave Aranda now being the defensive coordinator who, who led that defense last year to a top 10 statistical defense overall, but he understands the personnel on the defensive side of the ball for Wisconsin, which can help out Cam Cameron, and he understands the offensive talent because his defense and scout team went up against them each and every day in practice. So he's going to bring a significant advantage to LSU in this in this ballgame on top of his experience and a great defensive coordinator throughout the season. But in this matchup specifically, LSU has a significant advantage in my in my mind. This defense last year for LSU, untypical. They gave up 24 points per game. Very solid in run support. They only gave up 122 yards on the ground. But here's the knock, and this is why you're happy to have Dave Aranda as your defensive coordinator. Last year under Kevin Steele, this defense allowed 224 passing yards per game, their highest total since prior to 2008. So the secondary did not step up. You look at the three losses by LSU last year. They allowed 233 rushing yards per game, nine touchdowns in those losses on the ground. And when you're playing catch-up and teams can run the football against you, they bleed the clock, you're never going to get back into the ballgame. So that's what we saw at LSU. But the reason why teams were able to run the football in, the, in those games was because of the passing success. The secondary was not as strong. They didn't have that defense that allowed the front seven to just pin their ears back. Secondary could not play man-to-man coverage as strong as it did in 2014. And there were holes. They gave up a lot of big plays last year as a secondary. They had 34 sacks as a unit. That's the positive. And they were plus seven in turnover margin. But again, plus eight at home, minus one on the road. So, And if you remember, LSU, when, they, when LSU played Alabama on the road last year, they only had one road game. They were supposed to have two. They were supposed to play South Carolina in Columbia in Williams-Brice, but because of the flooding, they had that game in Death Valley. The only road game LSU played last year prior to the road game against Alabama was at the Carrier Dome against Syracuse. And I had brought that up to Corey Allen in one of our broadcasts when we did the show last year. I said, I wonder how big of a factor that'll play for Brandon Harris only playing one game on the road in, in a tough environment because that you want to see that. You want to see, is he battle-tested? If I was an LSU Tiger fan, I would, would have wanted to play that game in Williams-Brice in a tough environment to see how Brandon Harris responded. He had his best game up until that point. But still... 
You want to see players step up on the road. Now, you talk about this Wisconsin team with Paul Crist. This is, uh, when you talk about significant drop-offs, offensively, they were average 26 points per game. And Paul Crist is a dynamic offensive mind. He had a senior quarterback in Joel Stavi. That was a methodical quarterback. But you look at this team overall, rushing only 150 yards per game, their lowest total since prior to 2008. That's the bad. The good, they passed for 228 yards per game, their highest total since 2011 when Russell Wilson was there and Paul Chris was the offensive coordinator. So you get the good with the bad. But here's the, the lack of production from Wisconsin in, in the running game. Last year they were at 150. In 2014, they rushed for 320 yards per game. In 2013, they were at 283, so a significant drop-off last year. And a significant drop-off because Melvin Gordon went to the NFL and Corey Clement was injured for most of the year. But you look at the offensive line. Now, they had new starters in place, but a significant 170 yards per game, they lost running the football last year in 2015. And you want to delve deeper into this Wisconsin offense? When you look at the three losses, week number one to Alabama, the 10-6 to loss at home to Iowa, and the home loss to Northwestern, in those three losses, the Wisconsin Badgers only rushed for 33 yards per game. 33 yards per game. In those three losses, you're not going to win any game running for 33 yards per game, especially when you're not a high-octane offense like Wisconsin. Paul Chris wants him, he still wants a ball control attack that he can rely on, on his blue-collar defense to force teams to methodically work down the field. And Paul Chris still wants an offense that can move down the field and take time off the clock. Defensively is where they are strong entering this matchup. Now, this defense allowed 13 points per game, which was better than Alabama. And they had the fourth best rushing defense in FBS last year, only allowing 95 yards per game. And their secondary was solid. They only allowed 173 passing yards per game. Their secondary last year only allowed seven seven passing touchdowns. Think about that for a second. That's a great statistic to only allow seven passing touchdowns. That's why Dave Aranda is in Baton Rouge because of the job he did with the Wisconsin Badgers. And you can look at that bowl victory in the holiday bowl against USC and Cody Kessler, that defense shut down USC's offense and forced them to methodically work down the field. And the mindset is if Dave Aranda could do that with the defensive talent at Wisconsin, what could he do with the LSU Tiger defense? So keep that in mind as you break this game down week number one. Now the game is played in Lambeau, which should benefit the Cheeseheads for Wisconsin. Expect a sold-out stadium for this this matchup. 
and this is great too. You, the fans, I mean, will be into this game. This is what it's all about. This isn't going to be a corporate Arlington crowd. This is going to be a Wisconsin heavy crowd in this in this matchup. Green Bay Packers, Wisconsin Badgers. This is what it's all about. College football. When you look at Wisconsin's three losses defensively, they broke down in terms of being able to shut down the run. I mentioned Alabama, Iowa, and Northwestern. They allowed 177 rushing yards per game and five touchdowns on the ground. LSU, if they get going in this matchup, they're going to want to pound the rock with Leonard Fournette. So that's the matchup that you're going to want to see even though Wisconsin allowed only 95 rushing yards per game last year, they haven't faced a physical offensive line since their week one matchup against Alabama last year. Same type of MO with Les Miles. You know he's going to want to test the middle of that defense of Wisconsin early. Wisconsin had 28 total sacks last year. So that's what you want to see too. You You know, can they create third down and long situations for Brandon Harris and can they put the pressure on Cam Cameron and that offense to respond on third down, third down and long, where they can key on Leonard Fournette? And expect Cameron and this offense to, to get those playmakers involved outside Leonard Fournette. You want to see Darrell Williams. You want to see Geis involved in, in the rushing game, and more importantly, in the short to intermediate passing game as well. Can they get those playmakers in space on nickelbacks and defensive backs and linebackers for Wisconsin where LSU has a speed advantage? That's what you're going to want to see. But in this matchup, when I look at, look at it right now, I think LSU has a significant advantage early on. Now, I'm going to break it down. I'm not giving predictions yet. But when I look at this matchup, the Dave Aranda factor – and the fact of where the deficiencies were for Wisconsin in 2015. I still give the edge to Alabama. They haven't lost in 14 straight opening season games. So they have the edge, especially since USC is breaking in a new signal caller as well. Wisconsin, look for Bart Houston to, to be in the quarterback mix. He had spent time last year. He got experience with Joel Stave. And I think Texas matches up a lot better this year than they do they did last year against Notre Dame. But I still give the edge to Notre Dame in this game. But that's what I said. If you're going to get a team's best effort in terms of an underdog or a team that doesn't match up, it should come week number one, especially. Because if I'm a head coach and I'm I'm Wisconsin and I'm Paul Christ, you know, I'm expected as the underdog because of it's LSU and it's Leonard Fournette and my defensive coordinator is now the defensive coordinator at LSU. I'm breaking tendency. I'm showing something I haven't looked, shown all year or I'm coming up with something in the offseason to confuse the offense and defense for LSU. Same thing with Texas. This is a rematch. And if you're a good coaching staff, you're not going to show the same things you did last year. 
especially week number one. I'm not saying you're not going to – your offense is your offense and your defense is your defense. But not when all offseason a coaching staff has time to prepare. It's not like the season – it's a different mindset. During the season, you only have about a week to prepare between games unless there's a bye week. Then you have two weeks to prepare. But week number one of the college football season, you have from the time January ends – for your season or your bowl game, or if you don't go to a bowl, until September of the following year. So you should give your you, – your team should be prepared for that opponent week number one, and you should be prepared as a coach. And you better be showing different – you have all off-season to implement new wrinkles, to implement different types of plays – And as a defensive coordinator, you're breaking down game film. You're looking for tendencies. You're looking for something that gives you an edge. Look through all of Alabama's game film. How many times do they pass on first down? How many times do they run on second down? How many times do, do, do they show different formations? If O.J. Howard is split out in the slot, what, what what's the play call? Certain things like that. That's what I'm looking for if I'm a head coach or I'm telling my guys to key on. Break down the game film. You have all off season to, to do it. And we're going to see, and that's why we've seen great matchups week number one for the most part. There's been some blowouts, but we've seen some great games take place in these two years. Week number one in these big matchups because teams are prepared. There is no unexpected because teams have seven, eight months to prepare for their opponent. So that's that's what we want to see. And that and we'll get into that and I'm gonna be getting into this in greater detail. But Corey Allen will be with me next week. We'll be touching on these matchups and we'll get Corey's take about what happens in the offseason. I know Corey was at Georgia's practice. He talked to head coach Kirby Smart, his former teammate, told me he's got some great information. So, Georgia fans, stay with us. We'll get Corey's take on who he feels has advantages in these big games early on. And we have some guests lined up that we're going to bring on because this is what it's all about. I mean, there is no offseason in college football. There is no offseason. We could talk college football 24-7, and that's what we do on Go for the Two. Stay with me all season long. I have some great interviews up on the website, goforthetwo.com. And check out Corey and I. I'm not sure Wednesday or Thursday of next week, but this is what, what it's all about. We'll break down some of the other games too, UCLA and Texas A&M. Enjoy the week. Have a great week, everyone.